Well, praise the Lord, friends. This is Pastor Kevin O'Connor, and you are on the Immutable Truth. Uh, today, I want to address a subject that is uh, increasingly worrisome for me. Uh, I was asked in the church by one of our church members uh, a few months back what seeking God looked like, what what really following Christ look like for his disciples, for Christians? What are the things we should be doing? What are uh, some, some uh, if you will, things that uh, Christians ought to be doing? What does it look like? And increasingly, I see in the church, and I'm using quotation marks, a... Um, lip service to follow God, but not an actual uh, surrendering of my entire life. It's not really uh, 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 an all-encompassing portion of my life. I just kind of fit Jesus in where he, uh, where I got room for him. And it's like we can go to the buffet and just pick and choose what we want to do in our Christian walk and living for Christ. And, you know, never mind the fact that we are no longer our own, that we have been bought with a price and, and that we as a, a born again people have a, uh, should have at least an indwelt desire, a new desire within ourselves to live our life for Christ. Now, Getting into this subject, before we go any farther, I want you people that are watching the live stream and I want those who are listening to the podcast, I want all of you to hear me very, very clearly. What I am talking about is not faith, uh, is not salvation by works. We are saved by grace, through faith, <laughs> In Christ alone. All three of those are of God. We're saved by grace alone. Ephesians 2 and 8, 2, 8 and 9. By grace are you saved through faith. It is a gift of God. It's not of your own works, lest any man should boast. Faith, faith in Christ. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. We have absolutely no uh, there is nothing good in me that I could do to earn salvation there's nothing uh, of value intrinsically in me that I could merit or warrant or deserve salvation I am saved by grace alone I am kept by grace alone and I will go to heaven by grace through faith in Christ alone with this being said I want to ask a very fundamental question to those who profess to know Jesus Christ, yet there is absolutely no commitment on your part to doing anything that resembles godliness, anything that resembles uh, service, 
in uh, to others as far as uh, uh, what what Orthodox Christian behavior is. There's no um, uh, commitment to uh, a body of believers and really living in a community of and fellowship with other believers. There's no commitment in prayer. There's no commitment to be discipled. There's no commitment to disciple others. There's no commitment to to uh, reach the lost, to talk about your faith, or any of those things. Yet they profess Christ. Yet they and and if you're one of the people that are listening to this, and maybe you feel convicted, or maybe you feel like I'm being too hard on people. What you got to understand is we are living in a day and an age where everybody says they're a Christian, yet when the church is looking to help folks, when we're looking to have church functions or church uh, uh, outreaches, nobody shows up. Nobody is committed to doing those things. If you ask people to come to prayer meeting, prayer meetings are 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 are, are the most least attended church function bar none yet Jesus said my father's house shall be called a house of prayer yet Christians seemingly act like they don't need prayer like prayer's not vital in their walk with Christ like prayer's not vital in their in in, in their relationship with God even though Jesus himself prayed habitually Jesus prayed all the time Jesus prayed constantly we're told in the New Testament in Titus that we we should uh, pray without ceasing or is that Thessalonians says that okay we're supposed to pray without ceasing and so in in discussing this and asking the question where's the commitment from believers and to kind of answer again the question that a church member had uh, a few months ago about what does it look like? What does seeking God look like? What does following Christ look like? What does being discipled look like? What does uh, living our life for Christ as Christians look like? Because we have this idea that we can just float off in the nethers and not be committed to anything, and that's not taught in Scripture. And you, I have a lot of people nowadays, I'm not, I'm not into organized religion. Well, I'm sorry, Jesus came to organize or to establish what he called his church and so if you're not into the whole church thing, I, I highly doubt that you really understand the, the, the ramifications of what you're saying. And if you do know Jesus, I think you're spending a lot of time ignoring the word of God on the fact that we need each other, the fact that we're not the body of Christ alone. Each part needs the other. When you're part of a body, you're, you're not part of the body when you're a toe that's been disassembled, dismantled, cut off, severed, and is over here. You're a part of the body when you're attached to the body and we need each other. We're not the body of Christ by ourselves. Yes, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Yes, Christ dwells in our heart by faith. Yes, the, the Holy Spirit indwells every believer. Yes, those are true. But there are graces and there are, are, are benefits beyond what we understand in communion with other believers, in living our life with respect to others. Uh, the So many times when people don't want to associate with a church and they don't want to be a part of a body, uh, a lot of times it's because there's an expectation of, uh, of behavior 
there's an expectation of submissive uh, submission to the to the uh, authorities or the 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 uh, how am I going to say this the church organizational structure of you know the elder boards or the pastors and or deacons and people get all upset oh, I'm not I don't I'm only answerable to God you're not supposed to judge me well you know the Bible does say we're not supposed to judge but that's not the end of the statement. Jesus said, judge not lest you be judged. And if you do judge, judge righteously, okay? So we got to understand that being a part of a body also brings something that we call accountability. That means I become accountable to you, you become accountable to me, and when you see me caught in a fault, that you can come to me and say, hey, brother, this is not good, this is not righteous, this does not glorify God. Why are you doing it? How can I help you? Do, what do we need to do to get you beyond this thing, okay? And so often, people don't like to take correction or instruction, which is vital in the education of new believers, okay? So if you grow up in Christ with no with no authority figure, no submission to authorities and you just you believe that's good, but you remain an infant because you're in you're, you're in your thoughts, you're a child, in your actions, you're a child in and and you're not grown up into the understanding of what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. And so often we are doing that because so-and-so said something to me and it upset me or they didn't have any right to do that to me. They didn't have any right to say that to me. But as a body of believers, we're saying, I, when you come into a church, what you're saying is I totally believe that, that I need to be here. I believe the tenets of the faith of this church and I'm agreeing in, in essence, that I can, we can have open dialogue about our, each other's lives and our walk with Christ and our, our understanding of the Bible. And, and, and that is where the consensus are made. Everything must be established by two or three witnesses. Even, you know, in the church, it must be two or three witnesses. So even our confirmation of those who uh, are joining the church is by the body when you got to understand all of these dynamics that went on in the early church you know that those people that were added to their number what did they do well they devoted themselves to the teachings of the apostles the book of acts says those three thousand people that got saved on the day of pentecost i want to go there if you will i got my bible and i'm i was going to go somewhere else to start this but i want to go to acts and I believe it's chapter, the end of chapter 2 or into chapter 3. Uh, no, yeah, it's right at the end of chapter 2. These are the men that, that Peter preached to on the day of Pentecost. And after verse 41, Acts chapter 2, verse 41, he says, So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day, about 3,000 souls. Now, I want you to see what these 3,000 souls did. Verse 42, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. 
And all came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and, and had all things in common. I want to stop right there because this is exactly what we're talking about. Verse 42, those people who believed the apostles on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell on those in the upper room, they all spoke in tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. They were all speaking languages that other people who were there understood them. So when this happened, we see uh, Peter is preaching to this, these men, and they say, what, what, what must we do to be saved? Peter said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they, they, they go on to finish the story, and it tells them that those 3,000 men were added to the number, and it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the fellowship and the breaking of bread, and they devoted themselves to the prayers. Yet, nowadays, it's just pray this little prayer at the altar, get your little card, maybe a, a, a gift award Bible, and in a you know, next week we'll baptize you. You'll get a certificate and you're part of the church. And that's where everybody stops. 99% of Christians today have stopped right there. There's no devotion to the, to the teachings of the apostles, which were the teachings of Christ, which they were devoted to the teaching of the gospel. What is the gospel? What, what, is, what is that? What is the gospel? What is it that Christians should be doing? Okay? And I'm going to answer a few of these questions in just a minute, but they didn't just devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship. What does that mean? Let's go back to Hebrews. He said, for do not forsake the gathering together of yourselves, as is the custom of some, but all the much more as we see the day approach. Yet the body of Christ is meeting less and less and less. All for the and this didn't just happen during Corona. This has been going on that the church has just been slowly meeting less and less and less. And the the early church, the days of the apostles, and even the early church fathers, 100, 200 A.D. met daily for the breaking of bread, for the reading of the word, for prayer. Uh, Paul told Timothy, do not forsake the public reading of the scriptures and devoted to, devote yourself to these things. Devote yourself to these things. What does he say? What's the word devote mean? Commit. Make a commitment to do these things. Not just any commitment, but be so committed that you're devoted to doing these things constantly. Yet we live in a church age, an age of Christianity where people seem to think, I don't have to do that. It's not important. It's not, I don't, I don't have to do that. Why am I bringing all this up? Well, first of all, I told you it was to answer some these questions that I was asked. What does it look like to seek God, to follow Christ, to be a follower of Christ? But also, you know, uh, they didn't just devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, didn't just devote themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. The prayers. What prayers? 
the praying the prayer was an essential part of Christian uh, life. It was an essential part of the church's life. At the very beginning, they prayed all the time. Why do you think Paul told the Thessalonians, pray without ceasing? We need to be constantly in prayer. When you understand that Solomon, in all of his great wisdom, was able to run after other gods, to follow them, and he was led astray by by his flesh and desires. When you realize the wisest man that ever lived could do that, could, could wander into those things. And I talked about this a little bit in our men's prayer breakfast this morning, but if, you, if Solomon could wander into those things, how much more susceptible are we and how much more do we need to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to devote ourselves to the fellowship of the saints where my brothers and sisters can see what's going on in my life. And if they see me going astray, if they see me wandering off the path, they can say, hey, come back over here, man, let's get back in the word. And sure, they're going to say, let's pray about this because it doesn't look good. It doesn't right, look righteous. It doesn't, it goes against sound gospel teaching. Yet Christians don't want that. We don't want correction. We don't want training. We don't want rebukes. We don't want we don't want these things, but they're necessary in our walk with Christ. They're necessary in our being conformed into the image of Christ. It is necessary in us being conformed into the image of him who loved us and gave himself for us, God uses all these things in the body and in church activity to conform us into the image of Christ. Now, I want to I want to bring up a few points. I I a few months ago, this was back in uh, uh, let's see, August. Uh, I I titled seven ways we seek God, uh, and this is. This is not like trying to get to God for salvation. This is seven ways Christian believers seek God, okay? Because I, the first point of the sermon was you must be saved. You must be born again, first of all. And I went through all the scriptures that dealt with the born-again experience, salvation, how God the Father calls, how God the Father elects, how we respond, and how, how we're saved by his gracious election in salvation and our response is uh, birthed out of that experience of that election. But we dealt with all of that. And then we talked about how once we're born again, it's not like we can go halfway. We can't just go, kind of, I kind of got saved, I, I kind of gave everything up, or I didn't. My children and I have been reading through the book of First and Second uh, Kings, and I asked him two, two or three days ago when we got to a portion where it said that uh, the, the, the Israelites served God, yet they did not tear down the high places and they still 
burnt incense and gave offerings into high places, and the anger of the Lord was kindled because they were not serving him only. And we live in a generation where Christians think they can serve Christ and the world. They think they can serve God and their flesh. They think they can be they think they can have one foot on one side, one foot on the other. And Jesus said, unless a man denies himself, take up his cross and follow me, he cannot be my disciple. That's an imperative. That He's saying, if this doesn't happen, this can't happen. You cannot kind of halfway, part of the way, get saved. You're either saved or you're not saved. You're either devoted or you're not. It's not a pick or choose kind of thing. And we got to understand in the rebirth, the all the old has, if any man be in Christ, the old has passed away and all things have become new. Now, does that mean all things are perfect yet? Obviously not. Sanctification is a work that takes the, you know, the, the rest of our life to fulfill. I understand that. But There has to be a fundamental change in how I view sin, how I look at sin, how I I behave uh, according to that understanding. And that's birthed by grace. The Bible says in Titus that the grace of God that brought salvation appeared to all men, teaching us to deny ungodliness, to deny worldly lusts, and to live upright, godly, and holy lives in this present age. That's what we need to be doing. We need to be striving for. Yet Christians seem so apathetic in these endeavors. Now, I want to read the seven points that I gave in seeking God, okay? The seven points that I gave. Number one way Christians seek God, okay? Reading his word and prayer. And you can put one in first place and one in second place, and you can transpose it and put one in first place and the other in second place. They are inseparable. Every single Christian, period, should know, follow, believe God's word that is absolutely 100% without a question without a shadow of a doubt, should be your number one priority is reading and knowing God's word. People say, oh, well, I don't know the will of God. We, we don't know what God's will is. Read the Bible. God spells out so profoundly, so many areas, his will, and most of the areas that Christians fail to do right in is not areas that are not talked about. It's nearly Every time it is areas that are talked about, areas that are addressed specifically, yet we don't read the word, we don't follow the word, we don't believe the word, and I don't understand how you can call yourself a Christian and not desire to read God's word, to follow God's word, and to do your level best to live out God's word. Not to earn salvation, this is a product this is, a, this is a fruit of the born-again experience. I have a desire to know God more. And the best way you're going to get to know God is by God's word and prayer. Period. End of story. Every Christian should pray. Every Christian should read their Bible. Period. 
It's not even a question of if I should. If you have to ask that question and you've been saved for a long time, that's craziness that you're still asking that question. The necessity for believers to know God's word, to pray, and to and, and to be in communion with God in those two who are in those two ways are without a doubt the most fundamentally important. Those are the things that the apostles devoted themselves to: the reading of the word and prayer. The reading of the word and prayer. Those are absolutely non-negotiables. Okay, and I'm going to tell you, I firmly believe the rest of this list. It's non-negotiable as well. I think that we live in a day and an age where Christians do not feel like they have to live it a committed, Christ-centered, Christ-honoring, God-honoring life. And it's beyond belief to me that anybody professing to know Jesus Christ feels that way. I don't understand that line, that line of thought. Now, let's finish the list. Applying the Word of God to our lives, meaning I use the Word of God in, in shaping my behavior, in shaping my speech, in shaping my thoughts, in shaping how I interact with other people. The Word of God has got to be applied to my life. We are told we cannot just be hearers of the Word only, but we have to be doers. Amen? Now, Fellowship with believers is also a non-negotiable. I don't understand why believers don't think they need each other. When Jesus, even when he was in his earthly ministry, he sent them out two by two. And then they met every day. And the New Testament church, they met every day and they had all things in common and they all prayed together and they all ate together and they all preached and read the read the word together they all witnessed together they all went out to the streets to 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 help the homeless and the poor and the, the all the people Jesus told them to reach yet we as believers today especially in america think i can do it all on my own i don't need their help i don't need their help i don't need your help and i definitely don't need your help but the reality is we do need each other you know the 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 great thing about a a, a church body is number one how can iron sharpen iron if i'm never around my brother who is supposed to keep me sharp supposed to to help hone off those rough edges that are on me and my brothers and my sisters in Christ are like a stone that a a blacksmith uses to sharpen a blade what you're doing is you're taking a dull rough blade and you're honing the edges until you get it worked so smooth and so crisp that an, a, a knife-sharp edge becomes to, uh, starts to form on there. And they call that the cutting edge, amen? And we've got to understand that if I'm never around my brother or my sister, I am going to be dull. I am going to be rough. 
my 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 understanding of scripture is going to be rough my my prayer life my my walk with Christ it's going to be rough because nobody's there to tell me when I'm kind of going off in the weeds and I'm uh, I'm wrong about something nobody's there to tell me when I am stumbling to hey uh you're doing the wrong thing but not only are they not there to correct me they're not there to help me they're not there to give me that hand back up when I've separated myself, when I'm not willing to be in fellowship with other believers. They're not there to lift me back up when I'm down. They're not there to, to pray with me when I've messed up. They're not there to pray with me when life gets hard. They're not there to walk beside me and to, and to, and to uh, carry my burdens like Paul tells us that we ought to carry one another's burdens. But if I'm not a part of a fellowship of believers, that can't happen. You're all on your own. And then you wonder why you feel like you're doing it all by yourself because you're trying to do it all by yourself. Stop trying to do it all by yourself. You've got to have help. We all have to have help witnessing to others it's so much easier when you have your brothers and sisters there with you when you're witnessing when you're when you're talking to other people about Christ because you know the, the, normally the person talking uh, can get to a point where they're going man I don't know how to answer this question and the guy beside you could go oh but here's an answer for that you know, we witnessing is a way that we as Christians build up our 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 confidence in the things that we uh, have read, the things that we have applied to our life. And why would we want to hold that in and not tell other people about the hope that lies within us? Uh, uh, proclaiming the good news is not just a lifestyle. It needs to be done with your mouth. It needs to be done in word form. And we need to be learning to do that. But so many Christians, number one, weren't taught how to do that. They weren't discipled. So they don't know how to make disciples. So witnessing is another way that we are uh, uh, that shows we are seeking God that that is a fruit of us running after God uh, serving others uh, serving others is such a huge huge part of Christian life when you learn that if anybody wants to be great in the kingdom of God they must be the servant of all yet Everybody runs to want to be the guy talking. Everybody runs to be the guy speaking, the guy that they see is in charge. But I'm telling you, if you look at me as a pastor like I'm in charge, believe me, the pastor should be the servant of all. He should be the low man on the pole. He should be the humble one who is there to serve everyone in that church to to pray with them to instruct them to help them to to uh, uh, encourage them that's the pastor's role not just you know 
uh, running the church, not just correcting folks if necessary, not just uh, preaching the word and and uh, uh, presiding over the the you know communion and baptisms and weddings and funerals, but he is there to be you know the shoulder to cry on the 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 voice of reason when everything else is going wrong the pastor's there to serve in so many capacities that although he may be the leader of that congregation he's also set there to serve to to provide for that flock nourishment in the word of god nourishment in prayer, nourishment in service, and we're all to be like Christ in that aspect. If we want to be great, we must learn to serve others. And finally, my last one that I told this church member was this, faithfulness and perseverance in all those six things that we just talked about. Faithfulness and perseverance in prayer, faithfulness and perseverance in reading God's word, faithfulness and perseverance in applying God's word to my life, faithful and per- faithful faithfulness and perseverance in fellowshipping with other believers, faithfulness and perseverance in witnessing to others, and faithfulness and perseverance in serving other people. These things are the things that we should be doing all the time. And uh, there's so many scriptures for these that I didn't want to uh, to overload everybody with the scriptures for these. But I wanted to let you know 100% unequivocally, these are the things that every Christian should be doing. Reading God's word, uh, praying, applying God's word, fellowshipping with other believers, witnessing to the lost, and serving other people and we need to be persevering and be become faithful steadfast in these things and we wonder why we have a generation of people a generation of christians that are are not committed because they don't think these things apply to them they don't think that these principles of christian living apply to them luke uh, luke 18 and 1 jesus said men ought to always pray and not faint. You know, we're told in in, in uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Why don't we have anybody uh, trained up in the church? Because no one's, first of all, willing to take any teaching. They're not, definitely don't want any uh, uh, rep- reproving or correction. And, and, and they definitely... You know, the word of God is there to teach us, to repube us, to rebuke us and correct us, to train us in righteousness, that that we would be whole, lacking nothing. We'd have all that we need for every good work. But you don't have what you need for every good work because you're not reading the word of God. You're not applying the word of God to your life. You're not praying you're not fellowshipping with other believers you're not witnessing to others and you're not serving others it's no wonder we have such a malnutritioned anorexic sissified jesus teaching in the modern day church jesus did not let his disciples off 
as easy as we're letting our church members off, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, it, 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 this lackadaisical, uncommitted, undevoted generation of so-called Christians cannot go on any longer. Okay, we have got to understand that following Christ, salvation is 100% free, okay? But following Christ in our new life, being dead to myself but alive unto God in Christ, my life, the life I now live, I should live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, and I should yield myself as uh, uh, I should yield my members as instruments of righteousness and do what Christ has commanded me to do. Christ had an expectation of prayer. Christ had an expectation that you would know the scriptures. The, the, the early church had an expectation that you're going to read the scriptures and then apply them to your life in a discipleship, uh, a discipled kind of way. Okay? We need committed devoted Christians. We need to quit with all the pie in the sky, patty cake, kumbaya, floating by the seat of my pants on some puffy cloud with fat naked angel babies, Christianity. And we need to get to the real, born again, regenerated, Holy Spirit indwelled believers that we see in the New Testament that are devoted to the teachings of the apostles, that are devoted to the, the gathering and the fellowship and the breaking of bread, and who are devoted to prayer. Now, why am, why, what was the other reason that I said all this? Well, the other reason that I said all this is very simple. We, we started Wednesday night, my, my, one of our board members and I committed that we were going to be at the church at 6 p.m. every night for a month. And we're going to pray every night, 6 p.m. for a month. And I had several conversations with several different church members, and every time it came up to this point, well, you can't really expect people to show up every night, can you, Pastor? Why not? Do you show up for your job every day? Do you show up for your kids' baseball games or football games? We're in wrestling season and basketball season right now. Uh, do you show up for every one of those games? Do you make sure that your kids are at every practice? Do you make sure that they have everything that they need to be successful at basketball? Why do you do that? Why, why, do, you, why do you devote yourself to work? Why do you devote yourself to, to the, the, the activities and the interests of your children? Why? The simple answer is this. You find value in that. You see value in going to work and getting a paycheck. You see value in investing in your children and in, into the, the sport that they're in so that they can become better at it. Why don't we have value? Why don't we place value on these things that I just read? Why don't we place value on on uh, following God? Why don't we place value on prayer and the reading of the word? Why don't we put value on fellowship with other believers? Why don't we have uh, put value on witnessing or serving others? Why don't we have value on that? Do, it, do, do Christians do all these other things? Go to work or, or go to my kids' games, make sure they have all they need, yet they do those things because they see intrinsic value in them. 
But obviously, you, when it comes to the things of God, Christians, you are not seeing intrinsic value in them. You don't see the value of reading the Word. You don't see the value of praying. You don't see the value of uh, applying the Word of God to your life. You don't see the value of fellowshipping with other believers. You don't see the value of witnessing to other people. You don't see the value of serving other people. Otherwise, you would be doing it because you're doing all these other things that you see value in. Yet you say, I love God. Yet you say, I'm committed to Christ. But everything else that you're committed to, you do that thing. Everything else that you enjoy, that your heart is is uh, uh, cherishes, the, those things that you treasure, you're doing those things, you're running after those things. So why in the world, when it comes to the things of God, where you say you're committed to Christ, where you say you're committed to this church, where you say you're committed to following Christ, you don't pray, you don't read your word, you don't apply the word, you don't uh, fellowship with other believers, you don't witness, you don't serve others, yet you believe and love Christ. Jesus said something that was very compelling. He said, you can't serve God in money. And in this conversation, he said, you can't serve two masters. Either you're going to love one and hate the other, or you'll love one and despise the other. And the reality is you can't serve two masters. Jesus made it plain in following him. You either for him or you're against him. You either gather with him or you scatter abroad. The reality is Jesus said, unless a man denies himself, takes up his cross and follows me, he cannot be my disciple. Unless a man forsakes all that he has, he's not worthy of being my disciple. The realities that we say we love God, yet we're not committed to following Christ are two stark different realities. And I'm not saying we do these things to get saved, what I'm saying is saved people do these things. And if saved people do these things, why, saved person, are you not doing these things? Tonight, I'm challenging you. I'm challenging you in your talk, in your speech, what you say that you're committed to. You say you love Christ. Why aren't you doing these things? Why aren't you committed to these things? Why are these things always secondary? You know, we 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 got workaholics at church that will go to will not miss one single day of work, but they 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 find every excuse not to do the things that Christians should be doing. And that's my challenge. That's my question. That's why I, why I titled this what I titled. Where's the commitment? Where's the commitment, Christian? So I'm challenging you. If you're listening to this on the podcast or you're watching it on Facebook, please, please ask yourself this question. Where's your commitment? Where's your heart? Better yet, where is your treasure? God bless you, friends. Thank you for joining us. I'm leaving it right there. You have joined me, Pastor Kevin O'Connor, for the immutable truth. Love God, love people, and remember, we want peace, but we want the truth at all costs. God bless.